Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today with our guest, Armani Ferrante, the co-founder and CEO of Backpack, joining us on the other side of the mic in a room that looks like it's filled with smoke, but I think that's just an optical illusion. But before we dive into Backpack and Armani's history, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. So, sir, you have quite the storied history, developer on Anchor on Solana. I think you spent some time back at the now no longer with us Alameda Research, and now you're in the NFT world with our friend Tristan Yerv. How are things? Yeah, things are crazy as always, but I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So maybe just walk us through exactly what Backpack is and how it fits into the NFT market. Backpack, the starting point, you know, it looks like a wallet. It feels like a wallet, but the way I would describe it is that it's a wallet in the same way that like an iPhone is a phone, right? So like, you know, the iPhone, you can call people, you can text people, but it's so much more than that, right? It's got this really rich application ecosystem. It's got like unique developer tooling. It's got this awesome, secure, heavily curated app store with incredible mm-hmm. kind of like user experiences. And it has all of these like unique like device capabilities, right? The ability mm-hmm. to access like, you know, GPS. Uh, the ability to like build stuff with the microphone, the camera, um, and all this stuff kind of like came together um, to build a really um, incredible device that allowed developers to have a new platform and a new distribution channel for really building kind of like the next generation of web applications, right? And we all kind of know these as applications today. And we are very much taking a very similar approach, at least in spirit, with Backpack. So it looks like a wallet, it feels like a wallet. But there's so much more than that. And really the starting point with the story, it was this new kind of protocol and set of smart contracts that we built um, that we call kind of XNFTs. And the basic idea there is that we can do exactly what NFTs do for images. That is to say, tokenizing images. But instead of tokenizing an image, we can tokenize code. So you could build this on top of Metaplex, on Solana, on top of ERC721, on Ethereum. But you have the ability to now have decentralized kind of full stack applications. So if smart contracts are the back end, XNFTs are the front end. So you can bundle this code, whether it's a website, whether it's a mobile app, whether it's you know an app for your VR glasses or, or your car or whatever it is. Um, tokenize it on Solana or Ethereum, put it on a decentralized storage network like IPFS or Arweave or Filecoin. 
and then you're off to the races. And Backpack is really the wallet, but what it really is, it's like the distribution channel, the platform for running these XNFTs on. So you can do all this stuff like you would normally do in a wallet like MetaMask or Phantom, right? You can see your tokens, you can see your NFTs, you can swap, you can transfer. But you also have these XNFTs now that are these plugins or these apps that run inside of the wallet. And we're starting to, you know, build out this application ecosystem of decentralized apps and also build a bunch of auxiliary tools and primitives around it, right? So kind of building blocks for building applications. So everything from like usernames and an identity system and a social graph. So you can have like friends, for example, on Backpack mm-hmm. to the ability to, you know, send push notifications directly to the wallets and things like, you know, messaging or things that we're starting to build. So it's just like really kind of like rich, full stack kind of platform that we're trying to build that kind of like looks and feels like a wallet. And that's kind of like the starting point for the conversation. So how does the experience for the user differ from something like an OpenSea? Yeah, so OpenSea, it's a very specific product, right? It's an NFT marketplace. Backpack, I think it's much closer to like a MetaMask than it is to an OpenSea in that it is, you know, on the one hand, an asset dashboard. On the other hand, a private key manager that then gives applications access to those private keys. But it's much more general than an OpenSea, right? It's not really a marketplace or we're not trying to compete with marketplaces. We're really trying to be like the gateway into Web3. Well, I guess, yeah, then the traditional place where one would hold and store their NFT, so a Phantom or a MetaMask, sure. Yeah, so I think the big difference is that it's not just like an asset dashboard and it's not just a private key manager. Those are the two main functions of a Phantom or a MetaMask. What it's really trying to do is it's trying to like build this application ecosystem that's like easily accessible from within the wallet. So it's much more close to a browser than it is a wallet as it exists today. And so, you know, if you see something like an OpenCX NFT on Backpack, you don't have to worry about phishing attacks. You don't have mm. to worry about clicking on a bad link. You know that like if you see that XNFT inside of your wallet and it's running, it is indeed, you know, the correct OpenSea. Understood. And so what's your sort of temperature check on the state of the NFT market right now? My general sense is that you know, it had this huge boom bust cycle where a lot of people got excited about this like kind of new primitive that could only exist in crypto and on blockchains. But we really saw a lot of high volume kind of low quality projects, basically, right? You know, a lot of people colloquially refer to these as rugs, but, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of low quality products. But then we've also seen a lot of like really incredible companies emerge from it, right? I think these are like the Yuga Labs of the world where they've been able to like build these incredible kind of communities in this credible IP and transform this kind of unexpectedly into like real value. So everybody's like really excited about kind of like, you know, other side the game. And I think that has been a glimpse into, you know, a new way of building companies that I think is really exciting. And so to maybe more concisely answer your questions, I think there's been kind of a classic boom bust cycle, but kind of from the ashes, we've seen like a lot of incredible stuff come out of it. And what type of marketplaces do you think will have sticking power in terms of like the way in which these platforms are structured? Is it the open seas of the world, a blur? How do you see the competitive dynamics on the marketplace side since you kind of sit almost above that in a sense? Yeah, I think the open sea blur conversation is really interesting because it's been this question of like, you know, how much of the volume is real and not incentivized. And not only that, but also this like new style of trading, right? It's like classic marketplaces like OpenSea on the one hand, and this like new model of trading NFTs that looks and feels a lot more closely to normal tokens with AMMs. And personally, I'm a big fan of like just 
marketplaces that promote NFTs as like digital collectibles and less like, you know, fungible tokens, because I think that's like kind of what makes them special. And so, yeah, I don't really know exactly how the competitive dynamics are going to play out, but it's been interesting to watch for sure. Yeah, interesting. And then today we saw, you know, Starbucks sort of come out with their NFT collection with Polygon. So it's a weird moment in the NFT market where I can buy a collectible of a cup of coffee for $1,000. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a weird moment for sure. I think the whole playbook of getting big traditional companies, whether they're like Web2 tech companies or more traditional brick and mortar stores, is like an interesting one. And I, like, I don't exactly know how that's going to play out. Personally, I'm more excited about kind of crypto native companies building new things from scratch rather than trying to yeah. like onboard these huge behemoths. Because I think it's very unlikely that they'll like find something that sticks because they're kind of just like pattern matching things that already exist and putting it onto a blockchain rather than like recreating totally new things that have never been done before from scratch. So how do you make it feel more authentic? If you were to put your consultant hat on and talk to the folks at Starbucks. So like my answer to this is like a really horrible answer as a consultant Mm -hmm. because like... The honest to God truth from my perspective is that it's not really something that like you can just impose on a pre-existing institution. NFTs are all about kind of culture, right? It's like, well, how do you teach culture, right? How do you teach Mm -hmm. community and how do you bring that into a company? And my like hot take, I guess, is that it's something that you can't teach, right? It's something that's like has to be internally consistent with one's actual views of the world, which is why I think it's so hard to like build community and it's so hard to build brand because like, you have to genuinely like your community and you have to genuinely want to interact with it, right? So I think it starts with building culture and then it's a question of like company culture. And so, you know, if I had to put my consultant hat on, I guess I would say, you know, get a couple people that really care about this stuff, that really care about community and really focus on that as a starting point because that's where everything's rooted in. And if you don't have a strong community, then like NFTs are more or less meaningless. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. One that I think is, Interestingly, or funnily enough, evident in the Trump NFT drop, which, I mean, talk about the most horrific, horrendous artwork that one could imagine. And yet, you know, the first few days, I don't know what the floor price is now, but people actually bought them. And it's because, I mean, there's no more ravenous community or the sort of community that he has is is very intense relative to others. So it's like, it really is the core principle of what you need for a successful NFT project, which kind of goes against a lot of what you would expect. You'd expect the aesthetics or the sort of utility. They do play a role to an extent, but I guess to your point, they really take a backseat to just people feeling some intangible connection to something. Yeah, and I think like, people look at NFTs as this new phenomenon, right? And it is, the text totally new, the form factor is very different. But this playbook has been around like, you know, for all of kind of human history, right? Community building and NFTs, it's an exercise in brand building, right? And marketing, right? And so like, it's very similar to like building like a coffee business or building like a fashion company, you know, if you're trying to sell glasses or any of these other kind of, you know, products that are, you know, functionally, they're all the same. Right. But when you see a logo, you feel something emotionally very different. Right. So it's much less about the artwork and the mechanics of the artwork and much more about the storytelling that kind of makes it substantive. And this has existed 
not just only in NFTs, but, you know, tons of industries for all of human history, I think. That's why the Starbucks one doesn't really make sense to me because it's so ubiquitous. I imagine the people who go to Starbucks, you know, it's not really a flex in that respect. Like I can understand a shoe brand or a fashion brand rolling out NFTs because then you have in the digital world, a digital representation of what you own in the physical world. So you can flex in both analog and digital. But I don't understand why you would want to, as part of your digital identity, want people to know you care about Starbucks. That just doesn't make sense to me. But something like what Nike's doing does on Nike's creation. I don't know if you saw that. No, I don't know what you're referring to with Nike. They bought a virtual shoe company that makes sneakers for the metaverse, I think like almost two years ago at this point. And then they, I think yesterday, they unveiled their first swoosh NFT digital sneaker drop. But that stuff makes sense. And I can understand it. Coffee thing doesn't make that much sense. It's funny because like the term NFT means two different things. On the one hand, it means like this application, which is like this digital collectible thing, whatever that means. It's like a product. But on the other hand, it refers to like the file format. It's like the data structure that lives on a blockchain. And I think people kind of confuse these two things. And I think things like what Nike are doing, things like, you know, the board apes of the world, those are very much like digital collectibles as a product. And these like loyalty reward programs, it's much more of like, you know, how do I build something else like a loyalty system that's like kind of analogous to like hotel or airline points or whatever, mm -hmm. and use like the form factor of an NFT as the vehicle for like these other kind of products that we've seen in Web2 before. And I think that's like the main difference. And we've seen product market fit kind of with one of those things and not really with the other one. Although I do think there is still like a lot of exciting space to explore with kind of that latter form factor. It's just like not enough shots have been taken on goal yet. I agree. So you guys raised $20 million round in September. What's sort of been the progress of Backpack since last fall? So full disclosure, we raised that $20 million. FTX was our lead investor. 14.5 of that was actually on the exchange when it collapsed. So we lost the entirety of their investment. So we definitely have had to kind of go into cockroach mode since then. Mm -hmm. But, you know, things are going super well. So, you know, progress, we've kind of had the XNFT protocol live and on mainnet on Solana, both for applications and collectibles. Backpack, the kind of extension, is live on both Solana and Ethereum. I think we're like one of the first wallets on Solana to actually like ship both. That's now in production. We're in a public beta. You don't need access codes. So anybody listening to this can go download it at backpack.app slash download. And we've built a bunch of like unique kind of functionality into the wallet. You know, won't go through the laundry list of features, but you know, that's live. XNFTs are live. And then the other kind of big thing that's going live this Thursday on you know, the 20th of April is going to be Mad Lads, the NFT collection that we're doing. We're minting. It's going to be all done through Backpack. And it's going to be the first example of an XNFT as a digital collectible. So when you get the artwork, you know, it'll be like any of these other collections with like, you know, Bored Apes of the World, the Izukis of the World, the D-Gods of the World. But the actual, you know, digital experience, the actual application will be inextricably bound to the artwork itself. So when you actually click on the artwork, you will, you know, enter into an application if you will. So this is going to be the first example of this. We're super excited about it. We have like a super ravenous community. And then the kind of the next kind of big thing that we're shipping, we're in App Store review right now is the mobile app. And so that's kind of like the next phase of the project. So 
we've been kind of like hard at work at all these things and things are going pretty well. The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale, from merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's fine. Right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com slash scoop for more information. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.plainspark.com to learn more. So what's it like to have your lead investor sort of just go completely into meltdown mode? What was going through your mind you know, I'm sure at some point you realized the money was stuck. Yeah. How do you react to that? Yeah, it was crazy. It was one of like the hardest moments of my life for sure. There's tons of emotions, both personal and professional. I mean, on the professional side, it was like, well, how do we get our money out? Right. I think I was sitting on a plane coming back from Lisbon, like on the plane Wi-Fi, uh, texting my co-founder Tristan, like what's going on? What's going on? And we we're like, oh, we have no idea. And we we're you know, trying to get answers from people at FTX. Nobody would respond. We're just trying to figure out how to get the money off the exchange. And we, just like everybody else, we tried to withdraw, didn't kind of go through it. And, you know, it was just full-blown panic mode, right? I think the biggest kind of challenge was not really, I mean, at that point, it was really hard for obvious reasons, but it was very much like the weeks after that, like trying to, you know, explain this to the team, trying to think what was going to happen next. You know, there was really never a point in my mind that I thought we would stop. You know, I think it was a big setback. The way I kind of would describe it is like we were punched in the gut, we were down, but we weren't out. And we were just trying to like stay as positive as possible and keep the team kind of motivated and not freaking out, especially because a lot of us lost personal capital as well. So like the first order goal is just like making sure everybody on the team was like emotionally okay, because a lot of people just had personal capital there. And then kind of once we kind of got through that, it was really a question of well, like, what next? Do we have enough runway to continue? What do we have to cut? a big kind of part of our just like founding ethos, which is like open source development, public goods work. The majority of the work I'm known for is just open source public goods that like have no profit model. We have no way of making money from it. It's just stuff that has to exist for the world for crypto to like mm -hmm. be a functioning kind of system. And a lot of that work we had to cut. We always have kind of at least one developer working on Anchor, but we were doing a bunch of other stuff. We were working on this like APR product, which was like an open source verifiable code registry. And we were kind of like looking to grow that team. So we had to cut some stuff 
and really prioritize like, you know, how do we make money? How do we make it to the next round? How do we stay alive? And so it was kind of this kind of process of hunkering down and going into cockroach mode. And then there's tons of personal stuff that, you know, I don't have to get into, but, you know, it was a traumatic experience on every dimension. And, you know, it feels like it was forever ago, but, you know, we're here and we're still going. So what are the steps that you take in the aftermath of something like that? What did you need to sort of shore up? Yeah, so there's a bunch of things to consider. The most obvious thing is like, well, do you have enough runway to keep the lights on? So, you mm-hmm. know, go look at the books. How much money do we have? Calculate the burn rate. Do we need a raise now or later? Luckily, we had enough where we didn't need a raise immediately. The market environment was really horrible at that time. You would talk to any VC and like valuations just were just like totally decimated across the board. And if you're lucky enough to even get an investor that's interested, we've been fortunate enough that like we've had, you know, enough interest that we've never felt uncomfortable. But that's like step one. Step two, it's like, well, you know, what exactly is going to happen during the legal process, right? Like for us worried, well, are they going to claw back, you know, the money, right? Because Mm -hmm. we were in a unique position where we just actually didn't have the money. Because it was mm-hmm. on the exchange. The, more than the entirety of their investment was on the exchange at the time of collapse. So if they did a clawback on FTX's investment... You like used it as a bank account, effectively. Yeah, we would be out of business. We would just go bankrupt. And so that's like the next problem we had to figure out, right? It's like, talk to the lawyers. Is this going to happen? Let's talk to the trustees, see what we can do. You know, if we can do something like, you know, trade the claim for the equity back or something that would, you know, something that we still hasn't been resolved but we feel like, you know, we're confident enough with like not going bankrupt at this point that, mm-hmm. you know, we can continue to function. But that's kind of was the next big problem to solve, right? And anything can happen at this point. We're still not even out of the woodwork. I think bankruptcy estates are a long, complicated process and, you know, we can't predict the future. But that was the second big thing, right? And then the third big thing, which is like equally as important as those first two, is just like making sure the team's intact, right? You know, and yeah. making sure that people, you know, are still motivated, still excited, making sure that they're healthy and, and that their families are kind of intact. That's like, you know, there's so much emotional and, and personal turmoil that kind of ensued post-collapse totally. that that was like kind of the next huge thing. And it's just kind of like handling all these things at the same time, which makes it so difficult. And you have the background of having worked at Alameda. So it was probably almost a double punch. That was a big one. So it was crazy because I was fortunate enough to where like all of the work that I had done at Alameda was basically, you know, open source work on Solana. I was basically hired as like kind of... You didn't build the back door. No, I didn't build a backdoor, unfortunately, as much as like, you know, I didn't have many trolls on Twitter. There was a couple of them, like single digits. That was always just like heartbreaking and emotionally just damaging, honestly, especially since like I was just like decimated personally from it. And it's like all these, you know, people that you had previously talked to and met, it's just like, we're just really impacted. And it was just like this horrible, horrible situation. But yeah, as an individual, it was this like really crazy experience. But yeah, luckily I wasn't kind of working on the trading systems or working on the exchange or anything like that. And so I was in like a really fortunately distance from the whole situation, especially since I had like, you know, left to start Coral and Backpack like, you know, the December of, I guess, I guess a year or two ago. But, you know, I was sufficiently distanced where, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And I, I know I've spoken with a good amount of people that worked there previously and were just incredible people both the kindest and smartest 
hardest working people that like, you know, anybody probably would have ever met. And they were just like totally devastated. Just personal reputations destroyed, you know, personal finances destroyed. It was just like a really heartbreaking, horrible experience, as you can imagine. How was it as a place to work? What was the day-to-day like? So I was remote. So for the majority Mm -hmm. of the time, I was in like California and I was briefly in the Bahamas for a bit working as like, when I started Coral, I went to the Bahamas and worked out of as like an incubation company as part of the portfolio. But when I was working on Solana stuff, I was just remote the entire time. So I was in California while they were all in Hong Kong. And Mm -hmm. so it was like kind of a, honestly, it was kind of like a lonely place to work for me, but I was in like a really weird, unique situation. So it's not really representative of most people's experiences. Because like I was just kind of working on DeFi and wallets and developer tools and all this kind of stuff that nobody else was really working on. And so, yeah, not really a good sample. So what should we expect next to come out of Backpack? So next things are, you know, mobile is going to kind of hit the app stores hopefully soon. Mm -hmm. I think a big, you know, priority for us is going to be you know, continuing to, you know, make the multi-chain experience super smooth. So we're going to add wormhole support. So for Mad Lads in particular, we have like a lot of friends from Ethereum that are minting it and use Ethereum every day as their daily kind of blockchain. And so like having really high quality Ethereum support and bridging support is going to be super important. Super interested in other kind of blockchains like Bitcoin is like the obvious one, Bitcoin and ordinals. I'm a big fan of like, you know, what folks like Udi and, and the Taproot Wizards have been doing. So I think, you know, would love to have ordinal support. And so that's like kind of its own batch of work. There's a bunch of just like kind of performance and low level kind of engineering stuff that we have to do. You know, I think XNFTs on Saga is a big one. You know, I think that as a native format for distributing like crypto applications on the Solana phone is just going to be like a huge thing that'll just be awesome for anybody building crypto apps. And then the next like just, you know, huge thing is just MadLads product. So there's a bunch of social stuff that we're going to build through the NFT community. Stuff that we want to kind of keep a surprise. So maybe don't want to talk too much about it. But that's going to be a big point of emphasis. Just building awesome stuff to build like, you know, the best community that we can possibly build. No, it's interesting, I guess, without giving away too much of the secret sauce. I mean, we see it's very common in trading public.com, eToro have incorporated these social elements, how does that enhance the wallet experience in your view? You know, I think there are some things that are really about peer-to-peer interactions. So, you know, if you want to do something like make an offer to somebody that owns an NFT that you really love, you know, you can type in the address or type in the username and message that person directly. You know, I think Venmo and payments and international like remittances are like a huge, huge use case right? You know, being able to find Frank easily and, Mm -hmm. you know, split a bill with him at dinner is just like an obvious thing that crypto is like uniquely good at, right? Especially when you're in an international context. Like for us in particular, we have like people all over the world, people in the UK and India and New Zealand and Mexico, like our team's like truly global. And so, you know, this becomes like a pretty real use case for us. But anytime you you know, have peer-to-peer interactions, social just like immediately comes to the forefront. And so Mm. making kind of that user experience like seamless and, you know, as good as like any, you know, first-class Web2 app is like super important to us. Really cool. Well, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Where can our listeners learn more about what you're doing and how can we point them to the mobile 
for the extension, go to backpack.app slash download. The mobile app's coming out on the iOS and Android app stores probably within the next like, you know, month or two, depending on how those review processes go. We're not there, can't direct you there yet, but follow us on socials. So, you know, I'm at Armani Ferrante on Twitter, you know, at XNFT underscore backpack is the main account for the wallet. And then at Mad Lads NFT for the NFT community. And those are probably the best places to follow us to kind of stay up to date with everything that we're doing. Fantastic. Thanks again for coming on the show. Cool. Thanks, Frank. The Scoop will be back for you with another great guest. Have an awesome day.